Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter, that's how you get in touch with us. It's Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N. 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That's how you get in touch with us. And guys, what a show do we have. Look, I know for some of you, it's kind of a time to take your foot off the pedal. It's, well, you know what? We have some time because I only bet football or I generally bet football, but it's not. You can make a lot of money in this week leading up to football. Obviously, next week is going to be nothing but Super Bowl talk, Super Bowl talk, prop play talk. We're going to get into that, but we do have a lot of things going on in the NFL. McDaniels is hired for the Raiders. Brian Flores causing all kinds of controversy that we'll get into that. What are the ripple effects of what that could be? And of course, Tom Brady stepping away. We'll talk about that as well. Plus, we have to start looking at the other sports. And I know that we dedicate most of this to football because I get it. What moves the needle? The needle that moves is obviously football, and I get that. But college hoops has been on fire. It's really been a fun year, and you can make a lot of money in college hoops. I have been making a ton of money. Also, I have some hockey notes as they go into the All-Star break and a little bit of NBA if we have time as well. So let's dig right in here, and and we will start with the Super Bowl. Just a few thoughts looking back, right? The six games played over the last two weekends, decided by a total of 21 points, smallest margin ever. This is some parity here, right? I mean, the NFL is finally getting some kind of parity. For sports bettors, it becomes increasingly more difficult. Last week, we had two unders and two underdogs. That is just glorious for sportsbooks because generally speaking, we talk about it all the time, the public loves favorites, the public loves overs. So if you are anti the public, which on this show we generally are, you made out real well last week. I didn't like either game last week. You know, I told you guys that. My big factor that we talked about, and we we, we had a little fun with it, and we made a joke about it. My big factor that we talked about is the big but, right? The X factor, the ifs, and that really is what came up here. The San Francisco 49ers just seem to play the Rams close. They just play really, really tight, really close games. I didn't touch the game, but I did tell everybody uh, on multiple shows that weekend, over the weekend in Las Vegas, my Wanna Bet show, which now we're doing, by the way, with Rashad Jennings, so you guys want to tune into that. Um, I told everybody, look, I think that if you're going to bet that, get that three and a half. My wife took the Niners plus three and a half, you know, and I said to her, I said, make sure you get that three and a half or even that four because it dipped down to three for a little while and that was the difference. So close game like I expected and that's kind of why I didn't want to bet it, although I did lean the under. It was one of those games. The same thing with the Bengals. I told you guys, I think everybody's looking at a high-flying game. I saw two situations here. I saw the Bengals either winning a close, tight, real interesting game or the Chiefs blowing them out of the water. I didn't think it was going to be one way or the other. And In that case, both times, the under kind of worried me. Cincinnati comes up and wins. And why did they win? Because of the X factor. Because of the big butt. Haha. Right? Because of Joe Burrow. And now we go into the Super Bowl. And when you start to break down the metrics, and early on, I'm not going to go into a Super Bowl breakdown here today, but early on when you start to break down the metrics, what do you see? Right? What do you see? You start to see Every check mark going towards the Rams. You start to see the Rams checking 
every box. Okay, when I'm talking about every box, Rams offensive line, check. Rams wide receivers, uh, you can argue that. You can argue that. Look, they have the best wide receiver, but their wide receiving cores, all right, we'll give it an even, right? We'll give that an even notion. A Rams running game, check, better than the Bengals. Rams defensive line, check, better than the Bengals. You know, you could start to look at even coaching, McVay, check. Home field, check. So the real, the, the X factor here is Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow has been the X factor in most of these games. You can argue that the Raiders were about the same team as Cincinnati, except Cincinnati had Joe Burrow. You could argue that Tennessee, look, they were the number one seed. They had everything in their favor. They had the number one seed. Derek Henry was coming back. They were at home, but they had Joe Burrow. Kansas City absolutely 100% had everything leaning in their favor. But Cincinnati had Joe Burrow. And every now and then in sports, we do see, we want to call it, uh, you know, a team of destiny. We do see kind of that giant X factor overriding everything. And that could be Joe Burrow. So when you are breaking this game down over the next couple of days and the next week or so, and you're really looking at this from a logistical standpoint, understand logistical standpoint doesn't always account for on the field, the pressure that the Rams will feel, on the field, what Joe Burrow is going to be feeling and and how they look at him. Joe Burrow might be that guy, right? We're talking about Tom Brady in a couple of minutes here. We didn't know Tom Brady was that guy until after he was that guy, right? I mean, even going into his first Super Bowl against that Rams team, look, he wasn't the guy then. He was a check-down game manager. We didn't know that. We didn't know that he was the guy until he's the guy. Nobody knows you're the guy until you're the guy, right? And Joe Burrow's starting to have that feel. So it's just something to to kind of pay attention to. Um I did speak about the parody. I think it is kind of funny. This is the first time in 19 years there will be no Tom Brady, no Peyton Manning, no Ben Roethlisberger, no San Francisco 49ers. And the NFL wants to talk about parody. First time in 19 years, right? It is also, by the way, you know, everybody's always, we're going to get into the Brian Flores conversation where tanking for Tua kind of came up and the tanking conversation and tanking for Lawrence and tanking, tanking and losing games. To get that number one overall seed. Get that number one overall seed. Well, for the first time um, since Manning and Cam, and only the second time in history, do we have two number one overall picks going up against each other. Manning and Cam were the first time it ever happened. So number one picks is great, but you better hit on them. (laughs) Right? I mean, you absolutely better hit on them. Um, From a betting standpoint, just a couple of things to throw out there, and I may have to repeat this when I do the full Super Bowl show, but I want to throw this out there. Bet MGM um, offered odds on the exact Super Bowl matchup in the preseason, right? And I know a bunch of them did, but Bet MGM was one of the specific ones that I absolutely know about. They offered odds, and you could take specific preseason matchups. This team against this team, this team against this team. Rams, Bengals was 500 to 1. No word yet on if anybody took that. No, I, I will say this, though. It was a really cool story that came out. I don't like to pump up what the sports books show, and they put on their site, oh, look, this guy bet $10, and he won $6 million. You know, those, he bet a 25-team bar. I, I don't like to promote that. I don't love to go out there and promote the guys that 
well, you know what? A uh, guy walked in with $300,000. Let's go pr promote that. Yeah, well, I also know players, uh, sharp players that are getting limited, <clears throat> me, um, you know, to like $55. Right? So yeah, I don't like to promote it, but there was a pretty cool thing. Some guy went out there and he picked both scores. He did a two-team parlay with both scores of the game. Basically won a half a million dollars for like 100 bucks. Uh, and it wasn't, no, 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 it wasn't $100. It was like, I think it was $25 in insight credit. Uh, but uh, it, it was insight credit. And he turned around, made a half a million dollars, nailing the exact score of both games. So that's kind of cool. Also, um, just a couple of quick things here. When we're talking about sports betting and where we're going sports betting and the notion that we're entering a whole new world of sports betting. Well, 33 states now have sports betting. 33. Last Super Bowl, we had 20. And we didn't have New York. There's conversation now. Can New York by themselves... Remember, the big number last year was a billion dollars. Can New York by themselves hit a billion dollars for the Super Bowl? That's going to be something to watch. That's going to be interesting. Also... A lot of you guys like the crazy bets. A lot of you guys like to go out there and take the the, the silly bets and, and what I call silly bets. I mean, look, you know, you, you, you got a 50-50 chance. And you have a real 50-50 chance on the coin toss this year. I wanted to mention this. Fox Bet is offering no VIG. Plus 100, plus 100 on the coin toss. Heads, tails. There's going to be a lot of money thrown on that. Heads, tails. Right? By the way, we had two overtime games. We heard heads, tails. <laughs> and it went the other way. So 50-50 notion actually went 50-50, which is is kind of fun. Um, one other uh, public service announcement I, I will make, and let me try to explain this as, as vividly as I possibly can. Do not take overtime in the Super Bowl. Don't do it. It's happened one time ever. Okay, don't, don't do it. The sports books are actually begging you to take it. And the sports books clean up every year because not a lot of people are taking 14 to one that it will not happen. And actually, I will make a very good argument. If we want to sit down and have like a TED talk, I'll make a very good argument that you should take 14 to one every single year to not, not, not have overtime. Because the real odds, when you're talking about how many times it's happened, how many times it happens during the year, when you put in the percentages and you really start talking about math, the real odds are north of 20 to one. So you're getting a value at 14 to 1. But the regular everyday better doesn't really want to throw down like 140 bucks to win $10. Right? The everyday regular better doesn't want to throw down 1400 bucks to maybe win 100 bucks. So the books know this. They give you an enticing line of 1400 um, but they give you the enticing line instead of giving you back 20 to 1, which they probably should. You're only getting back, you know, 1,000 to 1, 1,200 to 1, whatever it was, whatever it might be. It was 1,100 in the last round. Yeah, it seems pretty cool. And people go, ah, you know what? Why not? Ah, I throw a couple of bucks on it. My wife said that to me. You know, she said this weekend after we had a first overtime game, and she said, yeah, I might just throw like 25 bucks on, on potential overtime. Ah, why? No, 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 no. <laughs> right? And that's the championship game. Forget about, you know, going on to the Super Bowl. So that's something to pay attention to when you're talking about, okay, what are they baiting you to do? What are they begging for your money to kind of jump into. All right, let's turn topics here and let's go into the conversations that, that, that happened this week. First, we'll start off with Tom Brady, of course. And I bring Tom Brady up 
on a sports betting show because Tom Brady probably won me more money than anybody I can remember. His against-the-spread numbers are absolutely mind-boggling for his career. When you're sitting back and you're talking about somebody like Tom Brady, and you talk about Tom Brady and, you know, who he's been, think about who he has been in his career. He's always been on top. He's always been that guy. He's always been the guy you look at and the guy you you say, okay, you know what? You, you can't bet against Brady. Yet, somehow, he finishes his career as the second best quarterback all time against the spread. The second best, right? If you blindly went out there and just bet Tom Brady every day of his career, you would have been crushing it. He was 186, 124, and 6 against the spread in the regular season. That is covering 59% of the bets. If I ask every sports better, professional sports better out there right now, that for a 20-year career, 22-year career, I'm going to give you a 59% winning percentage. Every single one of them would have said, I- I'm-, I'm jumping on board. I'm jumping on board. 53 makes you money. 55, you could kind of make a living out of this. 60%, you're, you're feeling really great. 60%, you're, you're a god. He's 59%. I mean, that's just the, the way it is. The only other quarterback with a higher cover percentage, Joe Montana. Went 101 and 63. Uh, so he was 62%, 61.5%. Um, so you're looking at Montana's up there, Brady up there. Alex Smith at 58%. Joe Theismann, 57 And Aaron Rodgers at 56 So... You know, it is kind of interesting because you look at a guy like Tom Brady and you start to break down how he was against the spread and you start to break down um, numbers and things of that nature with him. And to me, it just jumps off the page that Tom Brady, the greatest ever, they still didn't know how to make the line high enough for him. They still didn't know how to line his games. After 20 years, they still didn't know how to line his games. And after 20 years, I still would walk through sports books and have friends, you know, in the business, and they go, ah, this is the year. I'm betting against Brady. I'm like, what do you, why? Why? And, you know, when we heard his initial retirement, okay, and it was a mess. I don't want to get into the Scheffler mess nonsense, right? But when we heard the initial retirement news, I came out, and one of the things I put out there on Twitter, and I said, I can't remember a game that I ever bet against him. And, and that's that's... Absolutely true. I can't consciously remember a game that I ever bet against Tom Brady. I'm sure it happened, um, but it wouldn't be far-fetched for me off the cuff without going back and doing two decades worth of research on my games. It wouldn't be far-fetched for me to turn around and say, I probably made more bets on Tom Brady than anyone I've ever done in my entire career. So Tom Brady walks away, right? Um... He is just, the numbers are mind-boggling. We could go over all the numbers. We could go over all the conversation. We we can go that Tom Brady has a better against the spread uh, record, and he's got more covers than the Panthers, Jaguars, and Texans in franchise history, right? We can talk about the fact that he ended the year with 43 touchdown passes in a walk-off season, 5,316 yards, right? If he had retired 10 years ago, he still would have the most playoff wins in NFL history. We could talk about all that. Right, We could talk about uh, Tom Brady sitting back and have a big conversation about how I think he's the biggest winner this this past week. Not only because Brady walked away, but because 
the, the two guys that are ever compared to him because they have more quote-unquote athletic skill, right, is Aaron Rodgers, who once again choked away an opportunity as the number one seed, as the likely MVP, and Patrick Mahomes. The conversation that Patrick Mahomes is as good as Tom Brady is the over. The conversation that Aaron Rodgers is as good as Tom Brady has been over for a long time, but it even cemented it even more. So it's laughable to ever compare anybody else in any kind of vein to Tom Brady. So, you know, you could sit back and we, we could kind of talk about all of that with Tom Brady, but, you know, there is a another fashion to go down when we're talking about this. There is another fashionable conversation to have that I, I think we need to address. And that is the Tampa Bay Bucks next year. The Superbook came out and they said they might make the Bucks 100 to 1 to win the Super Bowl next year. That's the fall for grace they're going to take. Remember, Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette are both unrestricted free agents. They may be playing somewhere else. Chris Godwin may be playing somewhere else. It's likely that Gronk is going to retire. I think we all kind of know that. So right now, excluding unrestricted free agents, like right, when you take them off the table, here's the Bucks 2022 offense. Kyle Trask is their starting quarterback. Kashawn Vaughn and Keon Barner are their halfbacks. Mike Evans, he's still there, kind of solo. Mike Evans like Will Smith standing in their living room and nobody around, right? Jalen Darden, Tyler Johnson, Scotty Miller, CeeLo Grayson, and then their tight end, Cameron Bray. But you can't write them off because of this. The NFL's NFC South quarterbacks very likely can be Sam Darnold, Taysom Hill, Kyle Trask, and then Matt Ryan. If you're looking at an early futures play, you might want to jump on the Atlanta Falcons, right? I mean, just to hedge. It looks like they're going to the playoffs. <laughs> I, look, you you look at the Saints and they got Taysom Hill. They have a decent defense, but they got Taysom Hill and they're bringing in a new head coach, Sean Payton, left town. They're also losing a couple of guys. All right. I, I don't know. I mean, they, maybe they could win strictly on defense, but that's going to be interesting because I think only only Sean Payton knows how to use Taysom Hill. That, that's that's my opinion. Tampa Bay, they're, again, their defense will be good, and it depends on who is coming back, but the team constituted right now doesn't look very good. Carolina, I was high on Carolina before last year, but things went really south for them. They were a mess, and you're telling me, Sam Donald, you're running it back with Sam Donald? You're, run, you're running it back with Sam? Who was benched for Cam? Who was benched for, uh, you know, like an arena football player? Come on. You got Atlanta. And you go, oh, Atlanta's got a lot of good stuff. Yeah, we don't know what Calvin Ridley's coming back. Cordell Patterson looked bad at the end of the year. They still have no offensive line, and their defense is terrible. Could we have the first under 500, you know, NFC South winner here? It's possible. So it's something to pay attention to when you talk about sports betting. Um, there's a lot of moving parts here. A lot of things that absolutely could go right for some of these teams, absolutely could go wrong for some of these teams. But Brady leaving is a story. Brady leaving is obviously a headline news story, and we want to tip our hats, commemorate the greatest quarterback that's ever played the position, commemorate most likely the greatest football player that's ever played. All of that. Let's tip our hat to Tom Brady. Absolutely great job for us sports bettors. We love you. If you rode with Tom Brady, we love you. If you rode against him, you're happy to see him go. You, he leaves at the top of his game. He could have come back at like 80% next year and still been a very formidable quarterback. He could have come back at 50% next year and still been a starting quarterback in this league. So all of the accolades, sure. But as sports bettors, we got to look forward. 
As sports bettors, we have to look at this and we have to say, okay, what kind of ripple effects is it, does this do? You know, Tampa Bay came out and said, I, basically, I don't know if we could afford anybody. Our cap situation's a mess. Mike Evans addressed it. You know, he doesn't know who's going to come in. Their cap situation is a mess. And if Gronk leaves with him, which I expect him to do, and Fournette leaves with him, which I expect him to do, and Godwin leaves with him, which I expect him to do, it wouldn't shock me to watch Arians leave with him, which I'm kind of expecting him to do as well. And you go, well, well, Tom, they didn't announce it yet. No, they didn't because they don't want to step on Brady's announcement, right? I think you'll see Gronkowski probably will leave after Arians if it's already set up. Because you don't want it to seem like Arians is leaving because he left Brady and Gronk, even though that's the reality. So right after the Super Bowl, you don't want to take away from the Super Bowl news, right? Right after the Super Bowl, uh, that like Wednesday, Thursday, the next weekend, you'll see Bruce Arians kind of step away. I'm sure he's already told the team if he plans to. And you'll see Gronk. And the team will be left barren. You got your ring. It was worth it. But from a sports betting perspective, we have to start looking at that. Not only what they will be, but what can they even be? I mean, what can they be? Maybe they bring in a guy like Marcus Mariota. I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe Garoppolo steps in for Brady. The problem is I just don't think they have the cap space. They don't have the cap space for a Rodgers or a Wilson, so get that out of your head. Tampa Bay, get that right out of your head. It's not happening. And Rodgers would never follow Brady there because unless he goes and wins the Super Bowl next year, it's more comparisons to Brady that he loses. So, no, Wilson's not going there. No, Rodgers is not going there. I don't think Garoppolo goes because of cap space. I don't think they run it back with Kyle Trask. I will tell you that. But I, I'm not positive they're going to be able to get anybody much better. Maybe a Marcus Mariota is a fit there. All right, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. When we get back, lots more to talk about. I want to talk about this Flores news, McDaniels being hired, and I want to get into a little bit of college basketball. I am making a lot of money in college basketball. We got to start making money together in some college hoops. All that and more right after this, right here on Wagering Week. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, we're talking about college basketball, and I said I'm going to start looking ahead at college basketball. So let's go look ahead at the national championship odds right now. Gonzaga is still at the top, and they're presumably going to be there in a very weak conference. They are six to one. Duke is nine to one after a very good showing, and all of a sudden the Coach K fever is coming around. Baylor is nine to one, despite. Getting out of that number one slot, they've fallen back a little bit. They're still nine to one. Purdue is ten to one. Kansas is fourteen to one. UCLA is fifteen to one. Kentucky has moved. They were at fifteen to one, and right before I went on the air, they're moved down to about twelve to one. So they're getting some steam. Arizona is fifteen to one. Villanova coming in at twenty to one, and Illinois is at twenty-two to one. That is what are the odds? Yeah, you know, right before I went on the air, and I said it in that order intentionally, because right before I went on the air, Kentucky kind of jumped up. Um, they are now 12-1. to 1. Obviously, a very good showing this week has people believing in them. And I didn't mention Auburn for a specific reason, because I wanted to talk about number one overall Auburn, right? And Auburn touched the number one overall spot this week. And, you know, you, you start to kind of look at the SEC and you go, there are some dominating performances there. There's some really good teams. Kentucky's obviously one of them. Auburn's obviously one of them. Auburn puts a hundred spot 
up on Alabama. Um, Alabama was up there for a little while as well, right around 15 to 1. And you start to look and you go, okay, well, well, where is Auburn in all this, Tom? You can get Auburn in most spots at like the number one team in the country at like 14 to 1. Now, I've seen them as, as high as 10. But this is the number one team in the country. They're not Gonzaga. They're not Duke. They're not getting that kind of love. It seems like a year almost reminiscent of when Virginia went on to win the championship, which, by the way, I gave every single person uh, at my site and every single person on the radio, Virginia before the year at 10-1 to 1 odds. It seems like people sort of don't believe in them. They went on, right? Virginia that year went on. They started at 10-1. to 1. They went on to have a miraculous year. I mean, an absolutely fantastic year, but they went into the tournament at about 10 to 1, right? They never really moved. And Auburn seems to be kind of that team where we appreciate what they're doing. We love what they're doing. We expect them to kind of fall. You know, the time that I think, and we'll get into this more as the weeks go by, the time you start believing in Auburn, I guess if you're an Auburn backer, you already believe in them. I believe in them. I thought that they were going to be very good before the year. But I guess, you know, you look at their schedule and you go, when will it move? If you like Auburn, you take them now. Even after the Alabama win, that win didn't really make people get completely shaken up about them. They did beat Kentucky, but the knock on that is, well, they're at home. And Kentucky and Alabama are the only two teams since since 2021 that they've beaten that are ranked. And all year long, you know, they've only beaten three ranked teams. You know, they they lost to UConn early in the season, and, you know, they are ranked right now. Then they beat LSU. They beat them at home. They beat Alabama twice. But what do we think of Alabama right now? And Kentucky, you sit back and you look at Kentucky and you go, all right, well, you know, Kentucky was a home win. So, you know, this week that they sit around, they have Georgia. They should roll right over Georgia, keep their number one spot. Georgia can't get out of their own way. Arkansas. Arkansas could be a fun matchup. It's in Arkansas. Yeah, but, you know, from a sports betting perspective, what are they going to be? They're going to be probably close to a double-digit favorite. Eight, nine, maybe, right, something like that. And it's on the road. So, again, I think Auburn continues to roll there. Texas A&M at home. Vanderbilt at home. None of these games getting into late February are really going to change. None of the next four games. Look, if Auburn loses one of the next four games, it will be as a dominating favorite. Um, but all of a sudden, that's when you start to turn around. The, the NFL is over. All of a sudden, people start paying attention to college basketball. When you look up, you go, wow, number one team in the nation. Okay. And they don't face Kentucky again. That's an interesting notion here, guys. They don't have to go on the road to face Kentucky. They have to go on the road. So after those four games, which are all winnable games, I think Arkansas could play them tough. I think AM can play them tough, but they're at home. Then they go take on Florida, and this is a Florida team. I don't know what to make of them. Right, You get Ole Miss at home, South Carolina at home, Mississippi State on the road. None of these games. Tennessee on February 26th in Tennessee is probably their their biggest battle. I'm looking at the rest of their schedule here, you know, and you have nine games to play. Auburn is 21-1. and There's nine games to play. I they, look. I'm I'm trying to be realistic about this. I think there's no chance they lose to South Carolina. Not at home. I don't think they lose to Ole Miss at home. Vanderbilt at home. You know they're not losing to Georgia on the road. It doesn't matter. They're not losing to Mississippi State. I know that one. That one could get a little a little dicey. Mississippi State's a good team. 
but I, I don't I don't see that happening. So really, you have just a, a handful of opportunities. Arkansas next Tuesday, Arkansas in Arkansas could be interesting. That could be a game that you go, all right, maybe maybe it's the blip on the radar screen for them. Um, Arkansas has won quite a few games in a row here. You know, you start to look at them. They did beat LSU, um, but I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not circling that game. There's no way I'm taking Auburn in that game, and that could be a dangerous game. Texas A&M at home. I don't see this team losing at home. I don't. If you watch the atmosphere in Auburn, guys, the atmosphere in Auburn was electric. And Texas A&M, they they lost like six games in a row here. You know, I, I don't see them having enough offense to go out there and beat Auburn at home. So the Arkansas game is circled. People are going to circle this Florida game. It's in Gainesville. Florida's a good team this year, but they're inconsistent. The last time they faced Auburn, I know it was in Auburn, but they gave up 85. They lost by 12. They lost by, they lost to Tennessee. They've lost pretty much every, they lost to Alabama. They've lost every time they've gone up a big time opponent. You know, they're cleaning up on the lesser opponents. I don't see them losing in, in, Gainesville. So to me, if the next time we talk, and the next time we talk will be the middle of next week, if Auburn gets by Georgia, which they should, and then Arkansas on the road, I think they're going to enter Tennessee with that one loss. I think they're going to Knoxville with one loss on their ledger. And that could be a real fun game. The SEC is going to be dominating in the rankings this year. They really are. I mean... I thought Alabama was going to be better than they were. Kentucky has a legitimate shot at a number one overall seed. You're talking about Kentucky could make a Final Four run and a championship run. Auburn clearly can make a Final Four run and a championship run. LSU, I'm not completely counting out of this thing. You know, Florida, you know, I think they're taking a little step back. Arkansas, I'm not counting out of this thing. Um, I think it's real interesting to look at what's going on in the SEC and the number one overall seed when we're talking about you look at an Auburn team and they're not getting the respect that they deserve. You know, the, a number one team coming from the SEC, looking at being number one and the schedule coming up, you know, they should be the favorites. I get Gonzaga is going to be the favorite, so maybe it's hard to knock them out. They should be in front of Duke. You know, I, I mean, I know Duke took a little step back, so the odds are going to change a little bit. They certainly should be the number two team as far as that goes. All right, a couple other, since we're here, we'll do this and then we'll come back and I'll talk about the, the coaching changes in the NFL and how that's going to affect. I want to talk about a couple of other things in college basketball just to pay attention to out there, okay? Because we do pay attention to the big boys and it's just human nature for sports bettors to kind of pay attention to the big conferences. I tell you guys all the time, the big conferences, are, are it's just not something that I look at. I, I try to be as well-rounded as I can, but if I see a big, giant conference game, eh, you know, I'm not I'm not jumping and ready to jump on top of that. You know, you look at overall, the Miami Hurricanes are in first place in the ACC. Anybody believe that the Miami Hurricanes are the best team in the ACC? Anybody believe that Miami's better than Duke overall? No, I don't. I mean, Florida State beat Miami twice. Florida State's two games back in the ACC. Right? Inconsistency. Inconsistency. You look at the Big 12. The Big 12 has five teams inside the top 25. As a matter of fact, you, you look at them and you go, Iowa State? Iowa State is just 3-6 and six in conference and they're the 20th ranked team in the country. So how do you really shuffle the Big 12 out? 
You look at the Big East. I told you the Big East was going to be good this year. I told you when I did my preview, guys, Big East was going to be very good this year. They have five teams inside the top 25. Five teams. But does anybody really believe right now that Providence is going to cut down the nets? Well, they're 19-2 and overall. They're 9-1 and in conference. Anybody believe that they're going to cut down the nets? You can make an argument for Villanova, sure. And UConn started to get some love. People start to like UConn, and then Creighton goes out there and beats them. I know Marquette is that fashionable pick. Well, what they do against Villanova is really interesting. And, you know, they held them down in the first matchup to under 60 points. Well, yeah, but 15-7 and overall doesn't inspire that a championship-level kind of team. Xavier's kind of the same thing. To me, unless Villanova gets hot, I know Providence is on top. I just don't buy into them. And then you go to the Big Ten, which I think the Big Ten is is overrated this year. You know, Illinois is a good team, but they're flawed. Michigan State's dropping games they shouldn't drop. Wisconsin, they're good, but anybody believing in this Wisconsin team, I, I don't. I've watched them play. I don't see it. Purdue, number four team in the country, the team I said was going to win the Big Ten, team I said was going to the Final Four, you know, they've had some disappointing losses. Then they have Ohio State, Indiana, Michigan. Michigan, what's happened to Michigan? I mean, what has happened to Michigan? Jeez. You know, they, they've kind of fallen off the map here. Michigan doesn't look, they just don't look like there's something's not clicking with them. And then finally, we'll, we'll touch on the Pac-12. There's our three teams kind of in it. And the one team that I actually thought could really chase a title this year was Oregon. But it's not only that there's three teams inside the top 20, not even 25, because UCLA comes in at 19. It's also there's three teams inside the top seven. UCLA, which I underrated this year. I could say it flat out. I have completely underrated them. And Arizona, coming in at number seven. Arizona's having a year that um, surprises me. I thought that they, they would be good, but their, their year absolutely surprises me. They do have a tough road loss against Tennessee, uh, which is, again, that is a very tough road loss. A tough road loss against UCLA. So they got two tough road losses, but they don't have a signature win. Yeah, you beat number four Michigan early in the season. You beat them at home, but now look at who Michigan is, right? You beat Illinois in Illinois. That is a very good win, uh, but it was a long time ago. They have all their games coming up here. They're going to take on UCLA and USC back-to-back this week. That's huge. And after that, they're going to kind of walk away. Look, Arizona is gunning for a number two overall spot, and I think they could get it, but I'm not buying into them long-term. You know, if I'm filling out my brackets, which I know we have a long time for that, but if I'm filling out my brackets, I'm not buying into them long-term. And the same thing with UCLA. I know I've been down on UCLA, but I look at UCLA and I go, okay, you beat Villanova in the second game of the season. Very nice win. Then, you know, you got absolutely humiliated by Gonzaga. At home, humiliated, 20-point loss. But that was long ago, right? You did beat Marquette uh, in Marquette. If you want to consider that 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 big time win, you lost to Oregon, and then I look and I go only Arizona. That's the only team standing in your way here. Now they do have another battle with Arizona this week, another battle at USC this week. They still have to go to Oregon, and then USC again. So they have four remaining games that really could kind of sell me on UCLA. But where it stands right now, not totally buying in. So I I did all that and I said all that to kind of get to the kind of the point here, and the point is. Let's take a look at what these teams under the radar do. What one point I will say about a big boy is Iowa under Fran McCaffrey is now his winning percentage is unbelievable. He's 96-59-5 against the spread at home in Big Ten play since 2000. 
And they're 75 and 48 as favorites. I mean, he covers all the time. You know, Xavier went on a 29-2 run on Saturday against Creighton. They they went on great big-time runs. So you start to see, you know, they have the ability to kind of do that. They have the ability to, to go on absolute streaks here and go crazy. But there's a couple of teams I want to talk about. Um, let's talk about William & Mary, right? William & Mary, you turn around, they're now 9-1 and against the spread in CAA games after they started 0-12. This is a great opportunity for sports bettors to buy on a team that nobody's talking about it because they're from a smaller conference. People look at their against the spread numbers, and it just doesn't jump off the page at you because it's William and Mary, and you know what? They started 0-12 against the spread. People aren't understanding that they're streaking in the right direction. Their numbers are skewed. Most of the time when someone looks at numbers, what they see is they see what is you know season-long numbers. They don't understand, well, once you got into conference play, wow, it picked up, and wow, this team started to do A, B, and C. UNC Wilmington is kind of the same way, right? UNC Wilmington now has 12 wins in a row. 12 wins in a row. They've won 8 of 10 outright as an underdog. That would not happen if they played in one of the big conferences. If Wilmington played in an, a, a Power 5 conference, you would never see them be underdogs in 10 games. It just wouldn't happen. They play in a weak conference, and they're dominating. Anybody out there paying attention to Wilmington? No, I didn't think so. But you should. Anybody out there paying attention to William and Mary? I didn't think so. But you should. How about Davidson? Right? In a very tough A-10 conference, Davidson is 7-0 on the road. They beat St. Bonaventure. They beat VCU. They beat Richmond. Another team to kind of tail. Another team to start paying attention to. Another team you go, you know, there's going to be some value there. Nobody might be talking about them, but there's some value there. And the last team that in college basketball I want to kind of throw a mention to here, um, and I'll give you two more teams. We'll start with the Ivy League. You guys know who I am. Tom Barton is the best sports handicapper in the Ivy Leagues maybe in history. Okay, that's not me saying it. We had Jay Cornegie on, and he said, look, you're the best Ivy League handicapper in the country. Okay, he, he, he was the one who went out there and said that. And I've been doing this for a long time. Um, start paying attention to Princeton, okay, and you'll start to see that record be boosted up. That record looks really good. They're playing a lot of close games, guys. A lot of close games against lesser competition. They're not covering big numbers, so that's something to pay attention to. And the last team I do want to mention here is Vermont. Sportsbooks have not caught on, and they just refuse to catch on to Vermont over. Vermont has hit the over in 11 of the last 12 games. Since they've gotten into conference play, after they started out and they put up a 78 number, it's been 80 almost every night. 80, 80. They're scoring 80. And here's the thing. The other team only really needs to score 50 because the linesmakers are const- uh, just constantly, consistently, and over and over again, just putting Vermont in the low 130s. I- I hit a level four play, my biggest play of the season this week, where Vermont was 130 after coming off of eight straight games where they put up 80 points. They didn't put up 80 points, and they still got the over. Nice, easy win. So pay attention to over-unders in the lower conferences as well. Line makers are just having a hard time with the lower conferences, and it happens every year. It's not, it's not shocking. It happens every year. Um, uh, since we're here, let's stay on a couple of these other sports, and then we'll get back into football. Um, the Suns are 41 and nine. 
And by the way, they are not favorites in the West. That's something to pay attention to. If you're an NBA guy, okay, and you're starting to look at the West, I know it's daunting to look up at the Warriors and what the Warriors can be. Okay, I get it. But you start to look around the conference. You start to look at matchups. You start to look at Suns are 41-9, and nine, and they are not the favorites in the West. We know what kind of run they had last year. So they're not only 41-9, and nine, but they have a lot of talent, and they got a little of experience behind them as well. That's something I'm paying attention to. When I'm talking about the NBA, and the NBA we haven't dug deep into, and we will probably after the Super Bowl, we're going to start really digging into the NBA because this is when it starts to kind of, uh, the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Teams start to separate themselves. You start to see, you know, exactly what you can play with pace of play and the lineup shifting. Uh, But you can't deny there is some value with a Suns team and where they sit right now. Let's talk about the Panthers. Right? The Panthers scored 17 goals in five periods against Columbus this year. The Panthers are the best team in the NHL. Right now, you look at it, and it's them or Colorado, but it's the Panthers. Okay? Their scoring is off the charts. And what they do, guys, is they bludgeon bad teams. Like I said, they scored 17 goals in five periods against Columbus. Columbus isn't a bad team. Not a good team. They're middle of the road team. Florida takes advantage of those kind of teams. Florida may struggle on the road against a good team, upper level. But Florida, the team that I gave everybody to win the Stanley Cup before we started, 17 goals in five periods against Columbus. I only mention this because they play them again on February 24th. (laughs) Think I'm going to be on Panthers and the over there? You know, look, they found something in the zone that they're doing well. And I mentioned the Avalanche. We'll end off there. The Avalanche this week. Had the 18-game home winning streak, 10-game overall winning streak snapped by a pathetic, Arizona, horrendous Coyotes team. The Coyotes have 26 points on the year. That's the second worst team in the NHL. They went on the road. Uh, They beat the Abs in that spot. Plus 410. Plus 410, it was the biggest underdog since 2006. And now the Abs, after an 18-game home winning streak, have to go into uh, the All-Star break with that feeling. And the Coyotes are going, hey, maybe we got something going on for the future here. Maybe we beat the Abs, biggest home underdog since 2006. I mean, we did it. Maybe we got something working for the future. Speaking of the future, let's go back to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Bet to the future. Bet to the future. I'm keeping it with college basketball on the theme today because the South Point has a really interesting college basketball prop play that I want to throw out there, and and let's have some fun with this. Group A, you could bet one of the groups, Group A, B, C, or the field, right? Group A, will this team win the 2022 NCAA Men's Tournament? Group A includes Gonzaga, Purdue, Kentucky, UCLA, Illinois, and Texas Tech, plus 180 return. Group B, Baylor, Arizona, LSU, Michigan State, Duke, or Iowa, plus 220 return. Group C, Kansas, Villanova, Auburn, Wisconsin, Houston, Ohio State, plus 220 return. Or the field, which is all others, 6-1. to one. That is bet to the future. I kind of like this. Yeah, I, I kind of like this one. Look, you know, I think you get a uh, pretty good value with, with C. You got Kansas and Villanova and number one Auburn in there. Just, by the way, shows even more of the disrespect I was mentioning about Auburn. Um, Group B, Baylor, 
Arizona, LSU, Michigan State, Duke, Iowa. I don't love it unless you believe in Duke, which I don't. I don't like Group B. Group A, Gonzaga, obviously. You also get Kentucky and Purdue in there. UCLA in there. Illinois, Texas Tech. I Group, group A is pretty strong. I'm taking a shot at Group C, though, if I'm doing any of them. Right? I'm not going the field. Uh, if you take it, and, and B doesn't give me any value here. Group C, you get Kansas, Villanova, who I think both can win. Auburn, completely disrespected. Wisconsin, Houston, I don't really believe. Yeah, Houston could make a run. Ohio State. I, I, I love these random kind of prop plays. So I want to kind of share that with you. I, I thought it was, uh, I thought that was an interesting one. All right, let's get back to football here and to end the show off because there is some stuff that we have to talk about. And, you know, before we go into the Flores conversation, the Raiders hire Josh McDaniels, okay? Um, and it, it's starting to have conversations in Vegas like, well, this is going to be Foxborough West. Uh, I heard, you know, Patriots West and Foxborough West. Guys, you're not going to have a Foxborough West when you don't have Belichick or Brady, okay? Um, McDaniel's already failed at a job, but I'm not holding that against him. Look, I think it's a fine hire by the Raiders. It's been mixed reviews from people. I think it's fine. I'm not, you know, jumping over anybody to go make a bet on the Raiders, though, next year. You know, the Raiders are an interesting team because they did just make the playoffs. So I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see how Vegas views them when they're talking about uh, setting the lines for them. How lines makers are going to view Vegas. Because this is a team that overachieved last year. They overachieved and fired their coach. They overachieved with a special teams coach. They overachieved and lost to the AFC champion, Bengals. And they played a close game there. But they overachieved. They're still in a division with a lot of sparkling and twinkling lights, right? And I mean, they're still in a division with Mahomes, still in a division with Herbert, maybe still in a division with Aaron Rodgers. And I think that's where kind of it comes up short here for me with Josh McDaniels coming over there. Because McDaniels ran offenses that were designed around Brady. Then he recreated his offense and ran with a running attack that Bill wanted the running attack. McDaniels is a talented guy. I just don't know if he's going to walk into a situation that is almost an unwinnable situation. The Raiders don't have a lot of premier talent. Okay? And Raiders fans, you can get mad at me about that. They don't have a lot of premier talent. When I talk about premier talent, I'm talking about Derek Carr, is probably a top 10 quarterback in the league. If not, he's right outside. But he, if he is inside, he's at like nine. It's not premier. It's good. It's top one-third. But it's not premier talent, correct? Okay. And then you look at Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs had a couple of good games late in the year there. But Josh Jacobs is certainly not a premier talent at running back. The wide receivers, I like Hunter Renfro a lot. I don't think anybody would ever use the term premier talent for Hunter Renfro. A Waller's premier, sure. But that's an offense with a lot of, eh, good, but not great talent. That's all an offense with a lot of, yeah, okay, he's all right. You know, he's good. He's good, better than average, but but not elite kind of guys. Look on the defense, kind of the same thing. You have a, a defensive pass rusher, you know, Max Crosby, and um, you, you look at what they do up front, and then you look at the defensive secondary. So you got a couple of decent players up front, but the secondary needs revamping. If McDaniels took this job, and here's here's why I get a little confused with the, what this Raiders team is and McDaniels. 
if McDaniels took this job to win this year, it's kind of daunting. He's got to go out there. He's got to win a playoff game because uh, Bisaccia just showed, hey, I can take this team to the playoffs. So he's got to go out there and he's got to win a playoff game. That's the bar that's set for the Raiders. I think that's tough. He's got to do that now in a division that might be adding Aaron Rodgers, in a division that now has an angry Patrick Mahomes. So if his idea is, I got to win right now, well, you have to win with a team that isn't your team and kind of push that up. If the idea is, I have to win down the road, well, nothing's changing down the road, right? Justin Herbert's probably only going to get better. Patrick Mahomes isn't going anywhere. So it is a weird situation. And then you go with the the, the idea of who is Josh McDaniels. Look, his offenses ranked in the top 10 in passing attempt in all but two years, okay, from 2012 to 2019. Top 10 in passing in each of the past two seasons without Tom Brady. The Pats finished 31st and 25th in passing attempts, right? But 15th in passing yards this season. So what does he do? He is a guy that kind of says, you know what, I'm going to kind of play with what I have. If I'm with Brady, we're going to pass it all day. We're going to be top 10 in passing attempts, okay? We're going to throw it short. And when I don't have Brady, we're going to run the ball all day. But when we do throw it, we're going to throw it deep. Yeah, Derek Carr is not a guy that I think that you can count on to just go out there and throw it all day, every day. And it might not be just Derek Carr. It might also be the fact that I don't believe in their receivers. So I think one of the big things here that Josh McDaniels, for me to buy into Josh McDaniels, and for me to see, you you know that Vegas is going to set the Raiders total a little higher than it should because they just made the playoffs, right? So the Raiders total next year, I'll go out on a limb and I'm going to say, well, what do we say? You know, nine, maybe 10, maybe 10. Nine and a half, nine and a half wins. That makes sense. So in order to go over that for me, they got to go get a, a big time wide receiver uh, to at least start because we know that it looks like Derek Carr is going to stay. So, you know, I'm iffy about this move. I think it's a fine move. It's okay. I don't think it's the best choice for the Raiders. And I don't think it's the best choice for McDaniels. I don't know if they marry together really well, but I, I can't say it's a bad move in either part. This is one of those spots where, you know, I think the precedent is just tough because the Raiders overachieved. So for McDaniels to walk in and be a success, he's got to win a playoff game this year. It's a lot to ask for a team right away. Here you go. Go win a playoff game. I'm sorry. It's just a lot. All right. Finally, let's talk about Brian Flores and the ripple effect that it's going to have on sports betting and whatnot. Well, first off, you know, the facts are still coming out. And I don't like to comment on things that don't have facts behind it. On this show, specifically on this network, Sports Garden Network, we look at everything from a sports view with a betting persona, right? We, we're trying to go, okay, how can this help me make money? Or, or can I find an angle to make money? So I don't want to get into the overall allegations, the racism, the conversation. We're not looking for clickbait here, guys. We're not looking for conversations where, you know, we're going to pull an excerpt from the show and all of a sudden you're going to see this. No, no, no. We're not looking for any of that. We're not trying to push any of that, okay? If you think it's racist, okay, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I think I think we could all agree that it's stupid. I think that we could agree that Ross is stupid, <laughs> right? I don't know if you could throw the Giants into the racism conversation because I think in a lot of these cases that, 
the general manager, a lot of these interviewing processes, and I'm not just talking about the NFL. I'm talking about overall. A lot of these cases, I think that the general manager, the hiring manager, whoever's on top, they already know who they want to hire, especially in the NFL, okay? And the criticism of the NFL is racist. I think that's up for debate a little bit. Um, but the criticism that the NFL isn't getting is that it is it is just it, almost incestuous, right? Everybody knows everybody. We talk about coaching trees. Ah, oh, comes from the Andy Reid coaching tree. You know, Sean McVay shook this guy's hand once and, and we gave him a job. Everyone knows everyone. It's just the way that, that this goes. But to throw the Giants in there, I don't know. I think they already wanted Dable. I mean, I was a guy that wanted Dable in Chicago. I think he was the number one name on the market. Uh, once you you hired uh, their general manager, I think Dable was automatically the choice right there. So I don't consider that a racist move. The Broncos certainly wasn't that, that that's ridiculous to think that they were racist. They were they were stupid because they decided to go with Vance Joseph, you know, who was a man of color over Shanahan. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what they did. Um so you can't call them racist, but is Stephen Ross? Yeah, maybe. He's 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 certainly stupid. You know, but maybe. But look, let's not make Brian Flores out to be a, a perfect guy either. His assistant coaches, he, he was really, really rude to them. Um, pretty much cut them off completely. That's a fireball offense right there. You know, the way he talked to Tua. Let's not forget how he spoke to, to Tua. Okay? It's a fireball offense right there. I don't think Brian Flores got fired because of the color of his skin. But I certainly do think that Brian Flores has some beef here. And I think it's, the NFL is just doing itself a disservice to come out and say that there's absolutely no merit without really investigating. That's that's silly in itself. And Stephen Ross, look, you know, I don't know if he's a racist or not. I, I can't call him that. I don't know if he is. I don't know if he is. But I definitely think that he had problems with Flores, right? There was personal problems. And I think that he's he's a bad owner. I mean, he's just a bad owner. But I also put it on, you know, not only Stephen Ross, but the people that he had in charge, which includes, it includes Flores, who could have, you know, gone out there and had Herbert, right? And then the whole Watson debacle. I mean, look, you know, I, it's hard to call somebody racist from the conversations that we're having. But to call them stupid? Yeah, I could do that. And then we go into, and this is why I wanted to kind of bring this up, because it goes into the sports betting realm. I, again, that's my two cents on that. But the sports betting realm. We got a lot of problems here that could very much arise. Stephen Ross, reportedly, if you're talking to Brian Flores and you're looking at what he said, Brian Flores said that Stephen Ross offered him $100,000 extra per loss during the 2019 season because he wanted, quote-unquote, a prominent quarterback. That's tampering. That's a problem, right? They also said that Stephen Ross had Tom Brady on his boat. Brady wanted to come to Miami, but Flores didn't want it. Okay, well, that doesn't make Flores look too good. But again, it, it, it it's tampering, right? You can't do that, Ross. You can't do that. Um, Flores offering money for losses, though, in a sports betting world, is just, it's astronomically alarming. It's alarming because all of the guys that went out there and lost money, you know, you're going, did they intentionally lose? Pete Rose isn't in the Hall of Fame because of speculation of things sort of like this, right? What if he, what if he, as manager of the Reds, you know, threw games? What if? There's no proof that he ever bet against the Reds, ever. 
There's no proof that he ever bet against the Reds. He actually said, you know what? I always bet on the Reds. Um, Steven Ross was sort of betting against the Dolphins here. He was sort of going out there and trying, trying to do it. Now, the media needs to get off their high horse as well because we all sit back and we go tankathon and tank for two and tank for Trevor and all this tanking and suck for luck and all that stuff. You know, you push the narrative and you know what's going on. And Flores, to his credit, said, no, I'm not going to intentionally lose. But was that short-sighted? Was that short-sighted that he couldn't go out there and get a big-time quarterback? I don't know. Again, there's a lot of gray area here. But what we do know is it's not ethical, right? I mean, it's it's what Stephen Ross has done. Is, I've called it stupid. It's certainly unethical. It, it certainly should be... It should be caused and it should be looked into for him to sell the team. Because, oh, by the way, Stephen Ross was also reported in 2019 to have invested into a sports gambling setup and a startup, like $17.5 million fundraising round. So a guy that is trying to dictate losses on the field, that is going out there and saying, I'm paying you to lose games. I'm going to try to go out there and force you to lose games. I'm going to pay extra for you to lose those games. Somebody that is going out there and doing that is also sitting here and trying to get a sports gambling startup going. Oh, this has layers, guys. This has layers. The The media story is going to be that the NFL is racist. And I'm not brushing that aside because I don't know the facts. To me, early facts, the Giants aren't racist. They just got their guy. To me, the facts, the Broncos aren't racist. They just have bad hiring policies. I mean, just reality. I don't think Flores got fired because he's racist. That doesn't mean that I don't think that Stephen Ross is racist. I mean, he certainly can be. And the NFL probably has some form of racism in, in the hiring process, if you want to say that. Sure. But the story is going to be racism. But I think the underlying undercut situation that the NFL will bury as much as they can. And the media companies will bury. Because the media companies now are all bought and sold by... You can't turn on a media company without seeing a gambling conversation, right? And and an ad offering Flores to lose games while you are investing into sports gambling startups. That's the conversation, guys. That's the conversation that is a hard topic... To get past. It's a hard topic for people that lost good hard-earned money betting on the Dolphins when maybe they were trying to lose. And now you go, no, they definitely were trying to lose. All right, guys. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back. And you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.